we pray real quick? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for, uh, man, the way that we are made and the fact that we are made in your image. There's so much laughter in that. There's so much goodness in that. There's a lot of joy uh, in that. And, and I, I pray that's where we would find our identity, um, is in the fact that you are who you are, uh, despite, despite of uh, the fact that we do what we do. Um, we love you. We praise you. We just ask that you would glorify uh, your name and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so yeah, uh, he, here's where I want to start. Not that I, I don't want to mess around with kind of the let's get through some stuff and this is who I am, but I, to be honest with you, just because of the weight of where we are uh, in the text, if you don't know we're going through Romans right now, I want to kind of jump right into it. And so if this is uh, your first time and you're not aware that we're going through the book of Romans verse by verse, um, we are at a place right now where the book of Romans is going to take a huge, huge turn, okay? And what I mean by that is we're going to spend the next 11 weeks on how bad you and I are, okay? So we're really excited for it. Now, I, I want to say this, why we're doing this, why we're not just glossing over um, how bad we are, kind of putting a, a band-aid on it instead of washing the wound out really well, um, is a couple reasons. First is this, I want to say this, uh, next week and the following week, um, when we kind of delve into depravity, we're going to hit a section of scripture that's going to um, really press into the homosexual issue. And uh, Frank is really going to be walking us through that for the, the next uh, two weeks after today. And I say that because we want to kind of throw a disclaimer out to you. If, if you bring your kids uh, next week or the following week, if you bring your kids regularly on Sunday, it might be a Redemption Kids Week. Uh, the imagery and the, the, a lot of the language that we're going to use, we have to be very honest about what the text is, is kind of pushing us to. And so um, that's just kind of throwing that out to you. The, the other thing that, that I want to say about this is over the course of the next 11 weeks, um, I, I really want to stress this. I know Frank is all about this too, is we want to, to stop and remember where we're coming from. Okay? And here's, here's what I mean by that. Um, remember that last week we came from a place that ultimately that Paul's not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power um, of God unto salvation. Now this is really, really key, uh, key here because ultimately we're going to go through 11 weeks showing you why that verse is so important. So everything we're going to do over the course of the next 11 weeks is let us remind you why 16 and 17 are are so unbelievably important. He, here's what I mean by that. Um, that at the end of the day, for, for some of us that we hold some goodness in our corner, that it's not you completing your Bible in a year program that makes you righteous. It, it's not you doing awanas. It's not you memorizing scripture. It's not you fasting. It's not get, you getting gold stars at Sunday school that makes you righteous. It's the power of God that's found in the gospel unto salvation. So ultimately, we can, we can really understand this. This is important, especially the following two weeks after this is, you are um, no better. You have no more inherent righteousness. I am no better. I have no more righteousness found in me than, quote unquote, as some of you say, the gays, okay? You're not better. You tracking with me on that? And, and, and over 11 weeks, we want to find ourselves in that, that all of everything that we are, all of our goodness is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, that's really important because where we go from here, it, it gets difficult. Um, Charles Spurgeon, he, he is, um, uh, the, the Prince of Preachers is his nickname. He was going through this section of verses, and uh, he tells a story about a missionary who went to India. And when he went to India, uh, they brought, the first thing that this man in India did was translate the book of Romans um, into their language. Well, he translates it, he goes away, com comes back to London, and then he goes back to India. And when he gets back, the people of India accused him of writing the book of Romans and saying it was um, ultimately of God. Because, this is what the, the, the Indian there said, because this describes us 
all too well. And Charles Spurgeon from there says, listen, today we're not going to talk about Hindus in India. We're not going to talk about Romans in Rome, Greeks in Greece. Today we're going to talk about, and this is Spurgeon in London, we're going to talk about those of you who are out there now in London. And his point was that the section that we're going to dive into over the next 11 weeks, over and over, man, it's going to really press into who we are, that it's not you. You did not save you. Your goodness did not save you. You not watching Twilight is not a, a notch on your belt, okay? Like, you not listening to secular music is not the best of you. It's the power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And that's where we find our security. So because of that, um, we're going to go into our text, and here's where I want to start. I want to give us a clear direction, all right? And the best way I know how to give us a clear direction where we're going is starting with this. Um, about three weeks ago, uh, we, uh, my wife and I, Candace, we had a, a pool installed, and by pool I mean a four-by-foot-by-foot by foot, um, round above-ground pool, uh, about a foot off the ground, and we had it, we had it uh, put in for us. It was, it was like 15 bucks. It was really cheap, and so um, we had this pool put in, and uh, uh, my five-year-old son, Corbin, my three-year-old son, uh, Titus, and now we have a two-month-old two month, uh, daughter, Eve, but my five- and three-year-old boy um, love playing in this thing, right? So they're running in the yard, playing, yada, yada, yada. Well, I, I come home one day from work, and uh, I have to work part-time, mind you, because I get paid part-time now at Redemption, if you haven't heard, okay? Um, so I get, I get um, I'm working at this place called Trivita. It's a vitamin company. I have to be there at 3.30 in the morning, and I work a 12-hour shift, okay? So I get back. I get home at like 4, 4.30, and I'm like, I need to take a nap, or I'm going to turn into a monster. And so I lay down. I go to lay down, and, and Titus had been running around. He's dried off now. He comes running inside, um, you know, comes into the room, and I have this big uh, Dasani water bottle sitting there. He grabs the water bottle, and he just starts to guzzle it down. And I'm like, okay, back again. I'm like, I'm like, where is this going right now? Okay, it's like a hobbit. And, and so he just keeps consuming um, until the whole bottle is gone. And he's like, I love you. And he runs away, okay? I'm like, give me some water, okay? No, I didn't do that. Well, actually, I might have done that. Um, so um, he drinks this. Now, now, now here's the thing. He had been running around, and in this moment, physically, he needed water. So it is safe to say that we are made in such a way to, to only be satisfied when we are tired with a liquid-based substance, okay? This water, in this moment, uh, satisfied his craving. It is where ultimately he was satisfied. Done. I'm good. I'm complete. Physically, this is where, he at, where he's at. And, and I want to move this, and I want to show you ultimately, I think the, the book of Romans is going to show you that the same is true spiritually. So if Titus rolls into the room, says, oh, I'm thirsty, and I hand him a big gulp of gasoline, he drinks it. Eventually, he's going to die, if not be on his deathbed somewhere along there because he's going to be unbelievably sick. If I take what was made for Titus in that moment and I give him something else, there is consequences. Spiritually, the same way. Augustine would say you will not be completely satisfied until you are satisfied in him. Ultimately, if you take, as Ecclesiastes 3.11, eternity is stored up in your heart. So there's a hole. There is a massive gaping hole within you that screams eternal things. And if you try to satisfy it with anything else, ultimately, there is nothing but consequences. 
I, I have, uh, God bless the internet, um, I, iTunes U offers obviously all these different classes, and so I, I chose to listen to a cosmology class, which is not the makeup, because cosmetology, I think, is the other one, cosmology, um, a cosmology class about the stars, yeah, you laugh, but I've been accused, so, um, so, so I, I've been listening, so I was listening to this, and, and it's in uh, UC Irvine, which is awesome, the professor's great, and I was listening to it, and I remember the very first uh, couple weeks, the professor had brought up this revolutionary but very simple idea, and I think all of us know it, and, and he makes this crazy statement, and he says, if you were to take the sun out of the middle of our solar system, all the planets would just go awry. Like, some would shoot off and grow unbelievably cold, some would crash into each other over and over. And this is a simple concept we get, but the, the, the point is very beautiful that here in this moment, if we take God out of his rightful place, sitting on the throne of our heart, we will find ourselves to grow cold. It will be chaotic. It will not make sense. You're drinking gas, bro. You're drinking gas, and it doesn't work. So physically, the, way, the same way we would find satisfaction is also true spiritually. And this is the press Paul is going to push us towards. So if you have your Bible, if you can open up to Romans chapter 1. And, and I, I would really challenge you to open up your Bible. There's a, a Bible in front of you um, under the seat. If you don't have a Bible, man, take that thing, okay? It's yours. Um, but I, I want you to really open it up and, and, and go through it because I want you to see this section of Scripture that we are in this morning. Um, and I want to lay this out because we're going to start with verse 18, Okay, and the, we're starting with verse 18, not just because it's first, but, but here's what verse 18 all the way to 25 does. Verse 18 is our thesis. So I want to explain this, what verse 18 does, and then we're going to break down how verse 18 ultimately uh, plays out. So if you have your Bible, uh, Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 18. And, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it, and then we'll, we'll do something. For the wrath of God, so for, that word for, always ask what for, therefore, is therefore. So for, pushing back to Romans 16 and 17, uh, chapter 1, 16 and 17, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So I want to take this verse as a thesis, and I want to start with it, and I want to work backwards, and then we're going to really lay this thing out. Here's what he's going to say. There are men, ungodly men and women, who are suppressing the truth. And because they are suppressing the truth, the wrath of God is being revealed. So here in this moment, you have man as a whole who ultimately is, is there. Our, our propensity is to suppress the truth. And this idea of suppressing means to like bind up. So we hogtie the truth and say, I know what you're saying. I hear you. I just want nothing to do with it. And they're doing that because of unrighteousness and ungodliness. Now God sees this and he doesn't mess around. Okay. So, so the God that you've created in your mind and disconnected from the Bible that does not have a hell, that ultimately does not like wrath, we're told in this moment that wrath is being revealed. C.S. Lewis, in a book uh, called Mere Christianity, if you feel like you have four days where you're doing nothing and want your head to explode, you can read this book. Um, God is the only comfort. He is also the supreme terror, the thing we most need and the thing we most want to hide from. He is the only possible ally, and we have made ourselves his enemies. Some talk as if meeting the gaze of the absolute goodness would be fun. They would need to think again. So C.S. Lewis is going to say, hear me, these men who suppress the truth, these men who take it hogtie, I want nothing to do with it because of their ungodliness, God is revealing his wrath. And this is not a cosmic fire from heaven wrath. This is, you experience this today. Like, it, maybe you haven't been told this, but you're going to die someday. That's happening. Like, that, that day's coming. 
Statistically, someone in here is probably going to die of cancer. We're going to lose a relative. There are going to be car accidents. We feel the weight of this. And this is God's wrath being revealed. We're going to get to the stem of it. So here it is. For, For man as a whole to suppress the truth, our immediate question, if you think you're thinking through the text is, how are they suppressing it and what truth? Because not everyone would agree with what I'm saying in this moment. Paul goes on to explain what that looks like. So let's continue on. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So, so here's uh, ultimately, um, this is really important because he's going to say, I want you to know they know God because things have been made plain to them. Uh, this, this idea of plain, and, and I'm not trying to prove, like, look at me, look at Sean, he knows Greek. I'm, I want you to understand this, or really, for, to understand the text, here's a, a Greek word that you really can delve into. Um, this idea comes from, it's the Greek word photos, its root word is photos, it's where we get a word photo from, like photography, so original photography was built on a premise of light, and it means light. So it's plain to them in the fact that it's light. You're in darkness. There's a light. I can see it. There's no denying this. Not only can I see it, I can see a lot of other things because of it. So this is Paul's proclamation. They know God. They know who he is because I've made it plain to them. It's obvious to them. And so here, here is, here's our, our pushback, right? How have you made it plain, God? Like, this is, this is, oh, I love this because this is what Paul's doing. For some of us, we stand on this side of the line and we say, well, it would be so unfair for God to send uh, someone who's never heard about him to hell. Like, what about the man in the, the boondocks who's never heard about God before? Like, that's so unfair. That's unjust. And, and here's what I would say. You are absolutely right. God would be so unbelievably just if he just left them off and didn't tell them anything. If whoever that man is, the problem is that man doesn't exist. Okay, so, so your point is great, but that man does not exist. It's been made plain to them. So, so our question is, how has it been made, made, been made plain? Um, and we, we get to our next verse. Verse 20. Uh, backtracking a little bit, because God has shown it to them, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. I want to read this again and I'm going to come back to this. For his invisible attributes and then we'll come back to namely his eternal power and divine um, uh, nature. So for his invisible attributes have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. So so here's what he's going to say. He's going to start with, let me tell you how they know. Um, Psalms chapter 19 verses 1 through 4 say that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The skies display his, his crafts, craftsmanship. So I can look to it. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they make him known. Night after night they speak his name. And then hear this, without a sound or word, for their voice is never heard, yet their message goes out into the entire world. So, so Psalms, David here in this moment is going to say, hey, look to the stars. You, you can see, you can see there is something. So he's going to press into this idea of general revelation, and, and we're going to, we have to talk a little bit about apologetics, and I don't want to dive too much into it, but here's his, his press into this. It's a, it's a loose term of, and it's just a $5 word of co- the cosmological argument. This idea of uh, a very simplified version of it is because we can see this, we know because there's a created thing, we can know there is a creator. And Paul's saying this, look at nature. So um, uh, Candace, my wife, makes 
really, really good cookies. Um, now, I'm not saying that because I'm her husband. Like, there's some of you, FYI, you think you make good, like, Christmas cookies, and I'm like, I don't want your Christmas cookies because they're gross. Um, <laughs> so there's, there's some, like, people, like, you know, talk, you know, they bring you, I made you cookies. I'm like, great, and, okay. Um, she really does make good cookies, okay? And uh, in making uh, cookies, she takes them out of the oven, she puts them on the counter on this wax paper and lets them sit for a little bit. We're in the living room, and uh, Titus, my three-year-old, which I'm just putting him on blast, um, he, we hear the pattering of the feet, right? And uh, we hear this, though, okay? Unreal. So, so who took the cookie from the cookie jar? Yeah, Titus, you're going to get a spanking. Um, so Titus comes around the corner. Candace says, Titus, did you eat the cookie? Did you eat a cookie? And, and he, his hands are covered in chocolate. His face is covered in chocolate. Um, you know, chocolate in his hair, on his shirt. No, Okay. No, I didn't. Now, in that moment, it's obvious. We would have to do a lot of work to try to show that he did not eat the cookie. The dude ate the cookie. Like, he's, he, he ate it. And, and, and for us to, to see this, this is what Paul, you just, just look. The dude came around the corner. We have chocolate on our hands, man. Like, like, it's there. And so Paul's declaration in this moment is, look around. Like, have you ever seen a baby being born? And just say, that's just a, a blob? And I'm not trying to, God... God is saying, hear me, hear, like my name is, is to be proclaimed, hear what I'm trying to tell you right now. And he says, they're without excuse. You want to you know what's crazy about them being uh, without excuses? The heavens don't just show this idea. It says his eternal, let's read it again, uh, uh, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. There is deep, rich theological truths found in the stars. And not just like, like, like some kind of, uh, you know, I see this, I see this. No, no, it's screaming something. You can't hear it. You can't hear it, but it's saying something. I have been created. I have been created. I am made. There is a creator. Over and over, they're telling us something. And this is where Paul's pressing us to. And so um, as we continue on through the text, um, uh, I want to say this. Helen Keller, uh, who is probably one of the most, or if not the most famous, blind and deaf woman to walk the earth, you know, quotes. She's, um, her life story is insane. Um, there's a, um, a lady who had followed her kind of encounter with her being saved, did a, some documentary work on, on her and how she met um, a bishop. And the man's name is uh, Bishop Brooks. And I want to read you a quote real quick from what she says. Uh, the girl who did it is Barbara Kraft. And she wrote what had happened with Helen Keller encountering with Bishop Brooks. And this is what happened. It says, um, Helen told Bishop Brooks that she had always known about God. Even before she had any words, even before she could call God anything, she knew God was there. She didn't know what it was. God had no name for her. Nothing had a name for her. She had no concept of a name. But in her darkness and isolation, she knew she was not alone. Someone was with her. She felt God's love. And when she received the gift of language and heard about God, she said plainly, I already knew who he was. So never being able to hear, never being able to see, there's this sense of, I know you're there. And because of this, this is Paul. We're going to hide behind the text for this moment. This is Paul saying, because of that, you're without excuse, man. You're without excuse. So let's continue on in our text. So up to this point, um, they, they say, Paul says, the Holy Spirit's telling us, you're without excuse, and this is the truth uh, declaration here. Um, and now we're going to get into man's response to that uh, truth declaration. Verse 21, 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Um, I want to read a quote to you by a man, a, a 80-year-old professor to, uh, named Thomas Nagel at Cornell, 80 years, 80 years old, and he's still teaching. He says this, I want atheism to be true, and I am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intellectual and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God. I don't want to believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope that there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like this. C.S. Lewis, who we read before from Mere Christianity. He's the one who wrote your children's books, um, Chronicles of Narnia, Half Goat Men, and, and all that jazz. He says this, there was no more reluctant convert in all of England than myself, that I was literally dragged, kicking and screaming into the faith. So here's both declarations. Here's what they're saying. I, I see it. Like, I see it, and I don't want it to be true. God, do I not want it to be true. C.S. Lewis so much so says that I did not want it to be true, but everything else just showed it to be true. Like, I can't deny this. I don't want it to be, and he says I was dragged kicking and screaming into the faith. As much as my heart pushes against the idea, the evidence say otherwise. Psalms 53 says, he's a fool who says there's no God in his heart. And and, and this this is Paul, man. He's, I'm going to read it again. This, this is what he's trying to get us to. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and they, their foolish hearts were darkened. So just like my professor would say, well, not my professor, I'm just listening to iTunes U. I can listen to whenever I want. Um, so just like the, the, the cosmology professor uh, says, if you remove the sun in this moment, the planets go wherever they want. This, this is ultimately what Paul's saying happens to you, to me, to any man everywhere who suppresses the truth to the point that they're, they're going to push us to a place that says, I mean, your heart in that moment, your thoughts, they become goalless. I mean, you have such great thoughts, but to what end? They're, they're floating out into space, and they're pointless. Where are you going with it? And because of that, Ravi Zacharias would say, a man can't believe in his heart what he does not believe in his mind, would say, because you, you have no point in your thought, your, your heart becomes darkened. And this is us. I mean, this is what happens. This is our natural propensity to press into this idea of, God, I'm suppressing the truth, and we go awry. Now, here's where it gets interesting. And church folk, I need you to hear me on this for the next verse. Verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. That's it. Like, what a little verse. Let me unpack the power of this, this verse in this moment. Like a planet flying around having no aim, they, they think they're right. You think you're right. I think I'm right. And because of this, we, we become wise in our own eyes. Yet 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is going to tell us that the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. We, be, we become wise in our own eyes. We're, we're puffed up and ultimately hear this. This is what's crazy. We, take a, we, we think we're doing a good thing and really we're doing a bad thing, which is phenomenal because of the next verse. Please be in this text with me. I, I promise this is where it gets crazy. Verse 23, claiming to be wise, they became fools in verse 22, and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creepy things. Here's what happened. Because we did this, we did not keep God where he needed to be. This is what's wild. We ultimately took what God made to point towards him, and we made it something it was never created to be. Maybe it 
Okay, who made, in, in ver- so let's read it again in, in verse 23. Who made man? God made man. Who made birds? God made birds. Who made animals? God made animals. Who made creepy things? Right, Satan made creepy things, okay? So you can see that over and over God makes these things, and this is what he's making them for. They're made for you to come towards me. They're made for you to come at me. Hear this. It's just a bird. It's just a bird. It's not a god. It's just an animal. It's not a god. Hear this. He's just a husband. He's not a god. He makes a terrible, terrible god. It's just a car. It's just a house. They were not made to be gods. But you have taken this good thing. Man has taken this good created thing that was made to bring glory to God and made it the ultimate thing. And it's a terrible, terrible God. It's a terrible God. Like, you're screaming in the bleachers at a t-ball game. Your son, he's just a kid. He's not a god. He doesn't know Latin by age six. He's not a failure. He's not a god. You find your identity in these things, but that was never to happen. These are means to a different end. These things were not created to be God, and because man thinks they're wise, they end up taking these things that were ultimately created, and they flip them around, and now they make them gods. What's crazy in the middle of this is we can totally relate to this. So I'm driving on the 101 the other day, heading out to the Gilbert campus, and I'm behind this beater car, right? Like, right? I was like, is that Sean Johnson? You know what I mean? You guys, no, I think he got rid of that car, but um, we we hope. Um, No, actually, it's kind of cool. So um, I'm driving behind this. It's like this this, um, Geo Prism, 96 Geo Prism, and there's, you know, a bunch of different stickers on it. You know how that goes. Um, And there's this big sticker across the bottom of it that says, don't use oil. It destroys the earth. You know, as smoke comes out of their tailpipe. Um, And I'm like, like, what are, you, what are you using? Like, this, is that electrical? Co- you got a flux capacitor in there, bro, that runs off of garbage? Like, this is, no, you're using oil, okay? Uh, what's crazy is she wants to take a stand for something until it inconveniences her. I have a, a buddy, crazy, so, so I have a, a friend, longtime friend. Uh, he is adamantly opposed to, to um, uh, for Americans to have guns. He's all about gun control. He wants to limit it. He's not for you, each man having a gun, a gun in the home. What's so, so he is so opposed to this, like writes blogs on it, hear me, and he works at a gun shop, okay? What's crazy is, because it brings in the bread, ultimately, I'm against this until it inconveniences me. And so what happens is, hear, hear the relatability to what I'm trying to get across here. Ultimately, what happens is, this is us. This is us. We, in so many ways, we begin to suppress the truth. And man, do we hate sin. Oh, I hate being addicted to this. I hate this. But I don't hate it enough to go to battle against it. I don't hate it enough to wage war against it. I hate it until it has to inconvenience me. The lady was, she was sure willing to put a bumper sticker on her car, but couldn't she take a bus? No, because it's an inconvenience. And my fear, and I feel like Paul's pressing out of this, we make these little things uh, gods and we're okay with them because we've suppressed the truth and ultimately, man, just a little bit of sin is okay and I'm telling you it's not. 
that we would wage war against these things. We'd stop suppressing the truth as Christians. And the next word is, is um, fundamental to, to where we want to go and how we want to finish this thing. Um, it's the word therefore. Um, in the middle of, of this, uh, in the middle of, of making these things to be God that, that weren't to be God and, and us kind of using this idea of a, like Keller's idea of a step for God, like not challenging us, not pressing up against us. Like the God in the Bible isn't even really the God. He's like a quasi-God that you follow. Um, we see this, this sense of, um, or at least we feel the sense of God for some reason is from standing down from heaven looking at you saying, hey, I don't want you to go do that fun thing. Like, I know it's fun. I don't want you to do it. That's not what's happening. He doesn't do it because he hates you. He's not trying to stop you to, to, to do these things because he doesn't like you. I know you want a husband. I know you want a wife, but find me because they're going to make a terrible God if I give them to you right now. And he's not doing it because he hates you. you. You want fun? You don't know what fun is, bro. Like, you want to do this? You don't even know what fun is. Like, if that's good, if that's good, imagine the one who created that thing. I'm so much better and so he's declaring this over and over and over. And what happens is, no, God, I want to do it my way, God. I'm suppressing slowly but surely. I'm not challenging the idols of my heart, and I'm moving away. Therefore, therefore, the next four words are terrifying. God gave them up. I'm not doing this because I hate you. I'm doing this because I love you and I want you to be fully satisfied in a fully satisfactory God because I am everything. And in this moment, we, we find you want to do it, then do it. God gave them up. Um, I don't know what this fully looks like as a parent. I, I think for the most part, there's, there's times in my life where um, I tell the boys to pick up their toys on, from the ground in the hallway, and I've told them 10 times, and they won't do it. I'm not going to pick them up, so they come running around the corner and gash their foot. I'm like, I told you, bro. Like, that's how that's what life is, and um, I never felt the full weight of this. There's been small little encounters, but when I was a teenager, I, uh, I lived with a couple, a mentor of my, uh, mine. Uh, he, was, uh, uh, he was my youth pastor at the same time. His name was Dan, and he had a, uh, his, his wife was named Reagan, and I lived with him, and they had a, uh, a kid, and every single summer we would go out to California, and I would meet and talk with and hang out and eventually got to know uh, Reagan's dad, Robbie, and uh, this is a really cool, he's a really cool character. He's like this surfer guy. He, he was part of the Lords of Dogtown, for a lot of you who know that, like that old, like real old school stuff, and uh, just a surfer and just like this really chillax guy, and I remember the first summer I met him, he had told me the story that when he was nine years old, he was playing with some matches, and his dad came in and caught him playing with these matches. Um, and so his dad said, okay. So his dad brought him into the garage. He, he, he ended up grabbing two uh, box, boxes of uh, stick matches, and he said, okay, you want to play with matches? Let's play with matches. And so this is what Robbie's telling me. He says he lit the match, and he had to hold it until the match went all the way down and went out on his fingers, Okay an entire box of matches. He said his finger was blistering. He was crying. He's like 70 right now. So before you call CPS, just take it easy. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, I know some of you are like, oh, yeah, yeah. like now you can't even tell your kid no. Like, no, Corbin. Like, hey, can you please not tell your son no? Oh, I'm so sorry. You're right. Okay. Like in public, you can't like discipline. Okay. Back then they were allowed to like flog their kids. Okay. So, so he, he's like this military guy punishing his nine-year-old son. He finishes this box of matches, has cried all the way through it, and he's done, and his dad grabs the other box and says, okay, 
let's play with matches. Makes them do a second box, okay? Um, now, I know it sounds crazy, um, so I'm sitting here with Robbie, and he tells me the most phenomenal thing. He says, I, I know it's wild, but, but two things I really learned from this. One, I, I never played with matches again, okay? Which was probably good, okay? So to this day, I only use matches for what I need to use them for. I put them out, and I'm done with them. Number two is, though I couldn't see it in the moment, I look back now, and I see how desperately my dad loved me. Like, I see that in that moment, not only did he not want me to just catch the house on fire, someone else on fire, he didn't want me to catch myself on fire. Like, he cared enough about me to say, you want to play with matches, let's play with matches. And maybe some of you disagree with this, but in this moment, this is what God is pulling us towards, saying, you, you want to walk in the world, then let's, let's see where it goes, because you're going you're gonna to be drinking gas, man. You're going to be drinking gas, and it's going to kill you. So he gave them up. Do it because he loves them, because he cares for them. How do I know this? Because uh, Jesus would tell us that it's better for a, a, a man to enter into heaven with a maimed arm or a lost eye than to not enter at all. So, so us, for, to feel the weight of this, God gives them up. And he, here's what I'm saying. Christians, hear me. How long will we continue to suppress the truth, walking in this quasi-God idea? It says, man, are you in or are you out? And, and let's find out what God gives them up to. And then we get to, to close this thing out. He gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And we're going to get into that in a couple weeks. Um, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So I want to speak real quick to the church-going folk, just real quick, to the, you know, the you-don't-watch-rated-our movies guy, to the you-fast-four-times-a-week guy. I need to talk to you real quick, okay? Um, as much as our righteousness is not as found in, in these good things, um, all of us are messed up, okay? All of us are messed up, and, and, and here's the trick to this. We're not the first people to be messed up. So maybe, maybe you don't know the worldview, so here's how this thing starts. God makes everything good. Some of you spent some time in, in Sunday school. He makes everything good. He makes everything so good when he's done, after he finishes it completely, he says, oh, that's very good. So it's so good. And in the middle of it being unbelievably awesome that all this creation is meant to glorify God, all of this is meant for him, everything. He gives these people, Adam and Eve, to enjoy themselves in it, to ultimately find satisfaction in him. And what happens is God says, I don't want you to touch this certain fruit. And, and this fruit, the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, is, is Eve looks at it. Here comes the serpent. You remember, okay, the whole deal that Satan comes up and says, hey, did God really say this? And so she begins to process what God really said, and she wants to ultimately have knowledge of good and evil. She wants something and not, not trusting him, leaving him. She takes this created thing and tries to find satisfaction in it. She takes this created thing and tries to find satisfaction in it. And the moment she takes this created thing, tries to find satisfaction in it, her and her husband both enjoy this fruit as they found it to be good for the eyes. It looked delicious. They enjoy this fruit, and everything breaks down. 
The sun is taken out of orbit, and now the planets, which used to revolve around the sun, are going awry. They're crashing into each other. They're freezing off in this direction. Everything is all bad, and they know it because they're broken within themselves. They see that each other, they're ashamed. They're broken with each other. They're broken ultimately with creation. They're working, and and now they're, they're broken with their God. Like, it's just messed up. Like, it's all bad. Hear me. The moment the first humans took a created thing and made it something it was not to be made, it was all bad. And in the middle of it, God says, from this moment on, you're going to experience some suffering. You're going to experience heartache. But hear me, I'm going to send a rescuer. I'm going to send someone who will fix this. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to do. Like, it's just broken. I, I can't fix this. You can't fix this. I'm going to send someone to fix it. And so we hear this over and over through the Old Testament. People are talking about this guy. He's coming to fix it. He's coming to fix it. We hear this, and now we get to look back. There was a guy who fixed it, and you know his name because in this moment, Adam and Eve are promised this man, Jesus Christ. They're promised this man that in the middle of them, please hear this, taking that fruit, this created thing, and making it something they're not, there is still someone to rescue them from that. There is still someone to rescue them. And he has promised, and he comes on the scene, and that's exactly what he does. And hear me, because this is so phenomenal. The moment Jesus is on the cross, we we like to, to paint this picture, but what we miss is at the base of the cross, here stands the woman who has slept with more men than she could count. Like, she over and over, has given herself away. Standing at the base of this is the man who's stolen so much money. The tax collector who has taken over and over things that are not his. And at the same time, this sinful woman, this sinful man standing at the base of the cross, there's also the man who has fasted more times that week than he hasn't. There's also the man who has the Bible memorized. And both of these men stand before the cross and Jesus takes it. And both, all they can proclaim in this moment is everything I've done up to this point, both good and both bad has been taken from me. And my only hope is the cross. And that's what the rescuer does. He, he reminds you that your good works will never be good enough. And he takes away all the sin. And if someone in this room thinks they are beyond the reach of God, I'm telling you, the cross is bigger than you think. And the irony of it all is, Paul is the both. Like, he's the two things at the same time, the very man writing the scripture that is inspiring us, moving us, pulling us today. He has the Bible memorized, yet he's around killing people. You, you try, like, like how, many in, how, how many of us can relate to that? Like, we, we come here on Sunday, and yet we're just messed up. And this, this is it. This is it. So, The last section, I'm going to read it again. Verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So we can look at the opposite and that's our push. That we would constantly worship, worship, we would constantly find our identity in the cross of Christ. Because hear me, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's not your good works. It's not you messing up. It's the power of God That's where the gospel is. It's at the center of it all. 
And if, if this is your first time, or maybe you're still trying to figure out this Jesus thing, I, I would politely just say this to you. Um, you are not so far that God cannot save you. And, and, and if you're here today and you've been playing the game, like you know when to raise your hands, you know when to, to, to pray, you, you know how to play the game, like you know what that looks like, and you're so tired of playing the game because, hear me, you've made church, which, which is the epitome of ultimately the thing to bring glory to God. You've made the church. You've made your righteousness your God. You've taken you as a created being and, and, and made yourself this God. If that's you, I would challenge you to be the man or the woman or the man on this side of, of the base of the cross and say, everything I've had up to this, it's, it's nothing. It's rubbish. And it's all yours. That's my only hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is inerrant. We thank you that it is, <laughs> it's ridiculously powerful. Today, the text you have given us to go through reminds us that man as a whole suppresses the truth. And us as Christians are, are no different. There's so many times in our life where we suppress the truth. And even when we get things right, we, we seem to be proudful or boastful in it. And so, Holy Spirit, we can't do this without you. We need your power to move us, to beat and fight sin and not suppress truth. And at the same time, we need you to humble us and remind us that it's the cross of Christ that we find our righteousness. I pray for those in this room right now who don't know you, Jesus. I pray that you would soften their hearts as you tell us in Ezekiel, that you would take away their stony hearts and you would give them a heart of flesh. Please, Jesus, move us. May your cross be the epicenter of everything that we do. We find our identity, we find our goals, our aspirations in the cross of Christ, in the gospel, because it is the power to save. We lean into it, we trust it. It is everything. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.